Welcome to episode 19 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by Brian Joyner of BP Boston and Over the Monster. Brian, it's time to reminisce. I am ready. So, to let you guys know what that means, um, this show is going to be focused on something that uh, I know I and Brian are very excited to do, and that's looking back at the alternate uh, realities for, for the Boston Red Sox. So this week we got some really interesting news. Um, one, that A-Rod is retiring from baseball after this week. And then I think it was just last week that Mark Teixeira announced that he was going to be retiring as well uh, at the end of the season, not at the end of the week for him. Um, so we're going to talk about that because both of these guys were extremely heavily involved with the Red Sox um, at different points and uh, could have certainly made the last 15 years or so uh, go quite a bit differently had they landed in Boston. Yeah, I mean, it's not merely quite a bit differently. It's basically saying, what if Darth Vader worked with Luke Skywalker the whole time? (laughs) And, 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 And not only that, that was done. Like that, they made that move. That trade was done. It's not like oh, the Red Sox pursued Alex Rodriguez. They had a trade done for him. So let's set the scene here for them, Brian. So it's just after the 2003 season, and uh, you know, I, do I have to bring up the 2003 ALCS and Aaron Boone and how the hearts of Red Sox nation was just were collectively ripped out of our bodies. I remember being a high school, geez, I think I was a high school sophomore at the time, and I thought that uh, I would never watch sports again after that moment. It is still by far, in a way, the single most painful sports moment that I've ever lived. Uh, And I just had zero hope, almost even as a human being, after that game. Well, I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to tell you where I was. I was in the last row of the Bleacher Creatures section at Yankee Stadium wearing a Pedro Martinez shirt. (laughs) Now, if this sounds too good to be true, believe me, it's definitely true. Uh, When Boone hit the home run, since I was in right field, you could tell immediately it was gone. Because you know when there's a fly ball in the stadium? Yeah. If you're... It's certain angles you just you have no depth perception. You see at all. the velocity, but other ones you can see immediately. So yeah. I immediately just started walking down the aisle, and I got like halfway down the aisle before people realized what was happening. And a couple of Yankees fans jumped out in front of me and were like, "This is the greatest city in the world!" Like oh. that's relevant. So I get on the train. Good part was there was nobody on the train. I get off the train. I lived in Harlem, and I was walking back to my apartment. And this car pulls up on the side of the road. I'm I'm wearing a jersey. It's a Pedro <laughs> jersey. Yeah. And the dudes pull up, and they all they say, they go, you got the wrong shirt. And then they drive away. And it was the most defeated I've ever been. <laughs> oh, man. At least I was in the comfort of my own home, and I could just, you know, saunter upstairs and cry into my pillow. You had to deal with that. As it was happening, live. That's horrible. I feel like I'm talking to a war veteran right now. I said probably ten words between the first inning and the uh, when the Yankees tied the game in the eighth. 
I, I, and I was there with one other Red Sox fan and one Mets fan, the guy who like is a old good friend of mine, but, and he got tickets and he, and there was a lot of this around here. And, uh, it's happened with the Patriots too when they were going undefeated. That there were f- people here who were New Yorkers who had access to tickets involving what would be historic events for Boston fans, and they knew Boston fans. So I was lucky enough this time, and then the Patriots, the game they went 16 and 0. Which, spoiler alert, there's a funnier end to that one. Um, mm-hmm. To be offered tickets by these New York fans who were like, "You are." Uh, the Red Sox fan, I know I want to take you. So I went there. Uh, yeah, I probably said 10 words. That was, uh, that was tough. I still, uh, I still, you know, I don't think about it that much anymore. Uh, right. Yeah. The, the 2013 title was sort of like, okay, I really just, I'm, I'm not going to bring that up anymore. Right. There, there's been good enough stuff that happened in between that. And after the catharsis of 2004 and, 2007 and 2013 um you know we've we've had some good luck but anyhow setting the scene here um about as dark days as there possibly have ever been in uh, red sox history i i think i think the only time you could probably argue that it was worse was 86 with with buckner but you know neither of us i don't think can really claim to have lived that nearly as vividly um and, and the old timers tell me 75 was pretty tough too. And that if Jim Rice well, hadn't been hurt, that, you know, things could have gone differently. Well, this is the thing. Like I, I am, uh, I was not alive in 1975 either, but, um, I, uh, I, you know, there's, uh, 67, 75, 46, I think. 46. Yep. 46. Uh, and all of them are just like heartbreaking in their own way. Uh, and that was the, the 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 defining factor. I mean, it's hard to think of them like this now because they're not. But they were like um, some combination of the Cubs and the Mets. It, don't think about this year as Cubs and Mets teams, but just in general, the Cubs and the Mets, um, where they were sort of just mediocre. They were eh. They mm-hmm. were maybe good from year to year, and then they would make the World Series. And then lose in heartbreaking fashion, fashion, and they go underground for ten years. Right. There was no sustained success back then for the team. Right, uh, and that, and and there never has been until, um, honestly, until po- after the strike, except for the first about three years after the strike, '98, they made the playoffs. They got, they lost in four games, I think, in the. Uh, in the ALDS, Tom Gordon had not blown a save the entire season and blew it, blew one. Uh, actually, they might have made the playoffs in '95. They did, didn't they? Play Cleveland. Oh yeah, but that, at that point, Cleveland was just a mock. They, they were, were a juggernaut. They had they were, Manny in his prime, Jim Tomey. Um, anyhow. Most, yeah, very, very but, good team. Let's not get sidetracked there. Right, uh, but but hold on. Uh, let me just because this yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, this goes into what you're saying is the the novelty about a rod in 2003, um, and honestly, the turning point for this was the guy, one of the guys they traded for a rod, uh, who ended up being staying on the team. Obviously, is Manny Ramirez, 
when Manny signed with the Red Sox in 2000, that was the first person in, like, unless you want to count Jose Offerman, which you don't, who signed there as a free agent uh, because they just wanted to play in Boston. Now, at the time, uh, they were new to the – well, the the new top dollar um, world that baseball was – was reaching its highest point ever at the time. Like mm-hmm. this was the off season of a rod and, um, Manny, but the, uh, like um, the signature deal is almost like it was Darren Dreyfer got like $90 million or something or no. $5 million for five years. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Manny Ramirez contract that was given out was still the largest contract the Red Sox have ever given out up until, David Price signed last year, correct? Sure. Yeah, and so you think about uh, the differences in economics. Though, honestly, the economics of it, and I will not get sidetracked by this, but between today and then is that the dollar amounts are shockingly similar. Hmm. Uh, they should be a lot different, uh, I think, and I think they will be very soon. Um, Bryce well, Harper would be someone – Bryce Harper and Manny Machado would be people to watch with that. Um, but – the A-Rod thing was the culmination of it, and it looked like the Red Sox – I mean, the Red Sox had a trade in place after the 2003 season where they had come up just short to trade for A-Rod. They were going to trade Manny and John Lester, who at that time – and this is 2003, so yep. John Lester hadn't done anything. Right. Uh, top prospect, but still top, top nothing. The, in, in retrospect, it's hard to uh, – like if the Rangers knew what John Lester was actually going to turn into, they'd probably want to make that deal again. Right. They wanted to make it. I mean, they they wanted to make it. So they wanted they wanted a Rod's contract off their books so bad they were willing to trade for Manny Ramirez, who had the second biggest contract in baseball history. So um, to recount, there Manny and Lester to Texas for a Rod, and then there was supposed to be another part of the deal that was going to go down where separately they sent Nomar to Chicago White Sox for Maglio Ordonez, who presumably fills Manny's spot, and they also get a prospect then, uh, Brandon McCarthy, uh, who you know the Sox just faced yesterday or two days ago um, as part of that deal. And it didn't end up going through because the players' union blocked the deal because uh, he was presumably going to get a pay cut, right? Yes, and I remember being on e- – I mean, it seems ridiculous now. I was on email threads with all my Red Sox fan uh, fan friends from high school earlier, furious. It's like, how can the union argue that it is not worth it to the player if the player is agreeing to this circumstance, which – He actually signed something. There, there's a document around. Oh no, no, he he wanted to do it. Yeah, but the players' union would not not let him do it. And the amazingly interesting thing is, which is timely, is now in his retirement. There's something similar going on, because he should be. I think the Yankees were like, "Do you want to be a part of this organization for the rest of your life, or do you want to collect your checks, not play, and leave?" Because Otherwise, there's no reason for him to retire. Do you think his special assistant contract is going to pay him $25 million a year or whatever he gets? Yeah. 
No, I th- I think that look, Tom Skoka, the editor, one of the editors of Gawker, wrote yesterday. He's like, I've never seen in my lifetime a better player than A. Rod, who's played uh, for a chump at every turn, and that's true. This is the last one of his career, and the even this, the the Red Sox trade, is something of that happening because it's. I think my view of it now is probably a bit clearer than my view of it then was because coming after the 2003 ALCS, as we both have noted, was very difficult to swallow and the thought of getting literally the best fucking player in baseball was pretty great, especially when the deal was in place to get him and not incidentally to get Maglio who was dope. Yeah. He was a great player at the time, but he, he ended up falling off a cliff uh, the, the year after um, due to some injury concerns, so I mean, he came back. I mean, oh, he came back. He had some he was really big great on the seasons. World after. Series teams. Yeah, no, he he was great. He's he still had a few good years, but the years directly after the two seasons following, where the Red Sox were supposed to have had him if that deal had gone down, he did not perform because of injuries. But the the interesting thing here is. Because I pulled up a Chad Finn article from right I, after. I literally uh, pulled up the exact same one. <laughs> the, the the part that really stuck out to me was Jed Hoyer, uh, the assistant GM at the time, uh, reportedly danced a jig in his underwear when uh, the, the, the deal was agreed to in principle. So it wasn't just people like you and I who were really stoked about the idea of A-Rod coming to the Sox because A-Rod was like the greatest thing ever at that time. But, like, actual baseball people were above the moon about the idea of this happening. Well, think about the what the equivalent of that would be today. It'd be Trout, right? It would be like trading Machado – not Machado. It would be trading, like, not Miguel Cabrera because he's a bit too long in the tooth. Um. I'm trying to think of someone who's like the problem with Trout and Harper and Machado is they're also young. Right. Because um, <coughs> Manny was what about thirty? Thirty? It'd time? be like it'd be like training Joey Votto and uh, like a, a major pitching prospect if the Reds had one. But for, pretend pretend they have Giolito, right? For Bryce Harper, but then making a separate deal. Where they traded, uh, let's say they still had Hall of Fame level Barry Larkin for, you know, Carlos Gonzalez and a pitching prospect who ends up being like, that's the crazy part is that Lester and McCarthy are both in that deal. And there's no reason you you could probably look at a hundred other deals with two pitching prospects and the, the, the combined careers would not be as good as those two. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And that's that's another interesting thing about the deal was that those were such good pieces in their own right. And Manny at the time uh, was no chump himself. I mean, he was coming off an exceptional year the year before, um, 33 home runs in – or 37 home runs, I should say, in uh, 2003. And he was just 31 at that point. So uh, not exactly an old player. And he had – been an all-star pretty much every single year since 1998 as well. Um, so he was awesome, but 
A-Rod was just that much better. And the fact that that deal got blocked uh, and he ended up at the Yankees was just, it was such a gut punch, but uh, ended up working out fairly well in the Red Sox favor, I think we can say. Um, but, I mean, since since you've been a fan of the team, has there ever been anything, even in the realm of that controversial when it comes to a player signing or not signing uh, with the Red Sox or any other team that you follow? Is that just the craziest thing that you've you've witnessed as a fan? Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of like a proto-Deflategate because Deflategate is obviously like exponentially crazier than anything. But in that, I remember there were Boston fans going to protest outside the MLB offices the same way Patriots fans have done it after Deflategate in larger numbers, which means there's probably 10 people instead of like one or three. <laughs> but uh, it was... It was so crazy. I remember the day it was. It was Valentine's Day uh, that uh, A. Rod signed with the Yankees, and I had no idea it was coming. And uh, that that was the other part of it. It wasn't like, oh, the Red Sox weren't able to finish this trade uh, because he was traded in February. That does that's not common. Like the the teams do their deals usually December right they yeah. want to by February they want to know they want to be dealing with the bottom end of the roster right yeah um but the the other thing that is the, the biggest part of all of this um from us from one historical perspective is that if he had come to the Red Sox a rod would have played shortstop right that's interesting yeah because his value, like, he was a great shortstop, but he moved because Derek Jeter was the shortstop of the New York Yankees. So can we imagine a Red Sox lineup then, if if A-Rod had come here, that had Euclid at third? Um, and, well, I guess you would still have Bill Miller there initially. Bill Miller at third. Um a rod at short, um, Bellhorn at second, yep. um, first base. Who would have manned first base at that time? I mean, who do you think? It, do you think they would have still signed Kevin Millar for that position? I guess it's impossible to say, but let's just go with that. Um, and, and then sign, and them signing Kevin Millar was crazy too, because he had signed a deal in Japan. He had signed. Right. And he got out of that deal to come to the Red Sox and was pretty stoked about it. It's, I mean, it's, it's obviously the single best decision he ever made in his life. Yeah, it's just amazing to think of what that alternate reality would have been like and whether or not they would have actually been able to pull off the World Series. But I think regardless of whether or not they would have been able to do that in 2004, and I think it's pretty doubtful uh, that they would have, 2007 would have been completely out of the question if if he had come because Lester was such a big part of that, um, such a big part of 2013 as well. So uh, it really just would have changed really everything. Um, so I guess that... yeah, it would, but it also would have changed his reputation. Like if they 
it, it's hard to imagine them not winning in 2004 now that it happened. Right. But if A-Rod came to the Red Sox, still played shortstop, mm-hmm. and helped lead them to the first World Series since 1918. He'd be a god. As, as, yeah, and the crazy he is awkward and weird as he is, he would just be – it would be him, um, which makes me think it wouldn't have happened. But uh, it's it's so – it's so great. Like I am generally not an alternate histories guy. Like, I don't. It, it's just you know it it, it will drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. But this is a case where the deal was done. This is not so and so wanted to sign. So oh, can you believe? Can you believe these? Like this is crazier than the story about the Yankees and Red Sox owners getting drunk and trading DiMaggio for Williams. <laughs> because I feel like on some level they must have realized that this was all bullshit. Right. And that like the drunk like when you're if you're both that drunk there's you know no, what you said the previous night may not actually uh apply especially when you've traded two of like the 10 best players in history even at that point. Um but this was done. This was an actual trade, and it was an actual three-way trade that was done. So it's unbelievable to think about. It's just uh, an incredible end to, to A-Rod's career, too, like you said. Kind of ignominious, and it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to be remembered uh, as he does leave the game of baseball, because 22 seasons under his belt, um, 22 really magnificent seasons, and um, you you were talking about what it would have been like if he did sign with the Red Sox. Uh, I think his playoff woes were pretty well documented until 2009, where he helped carry that Yankees team to the World Series as well. So who knows what would have happened there and how that dynamic with Ortiz would have worked. But I'm really happy that it went down the way that it did. Um, the other guy that I wanted to touch on tonight, too, was uh, Mark Teixeira. Um, Interesting. I mean, in December of 2008, he ends up signing with the New York Yankees um, for $180 million over eight years. The Red Sox had made him an offer of $168 million over eight years, um, which is kind of funny because the year before that, Euclid was playing first base for the Red Sox um, and enjoyed a 6.1 war season. Um and then that following year, uh, he actually ended up outproducing Mark Teixeira uh, in 2009 with a 5.9 war season uh, versus 5.1 for Mark Teixeira. So um, sort of weird that the Red Sox wanted to go after him in the first place, right? Yeah, so you and I talked about this beforehand because you just wanted some context. Um, and I thought of one more, but I'll, I'll go through what we talked about first, which is that at the time this was still – a moment where the Red Sox and the Yankees was like the the Cold War of the league. And if one team went after a player, the other it was implicit that the other team also wanted to sign them because they were the two major players. Um, the, the thing about this that I forgot was the Yankees did offer more money. This was after 2008 where the Red Sox had the best record in the league, I believe, and then lost to the White Sox in the playoffs. Yeah, um, that was when they broke their, what, 90, uh, 
90-something year drought? 92? Uh, no, that was 2005, actually. Oh, that's right. That's right. That was 2005. Uh, 2008, probably. That was the year they lost the Angels, maybe? Or no, they lost the uh, friggin' Devil Rays. Oh, um, yeah. Right, David Price. Yep. David, David Price put them away. Who's that guy? Yeah, it's, I've been writing about him tonight. It's great. But anyhow, uh, they uh, the Yankees didn't make the playoffs for the first time in forever, and it was the last. It was great because it was the last game in Yankee Stadium was a regular season game, and they've made the playoffs every year since the uh, strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a real shame. Tough for them. But then sure. they christened the new park with yeah, a World yeah, Series that. the next we year. Did, so, no, yeah. We did that with the Patriots. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It just doesn't hold the same water. Yeah. Just, yeah. But but the uh, what are, that season, the Yankees were sort of determined. That was when they got uh, Sabathia, Teixeira, and uh, I, I was going to say Halliday, but no, it was A.J. Burnett. Uh but Who actually were, was not that bad for them. No, he wasn't. He just, you know, uh, he's just A.J. Burnett. He's not a likable player. So the the larger point here, I think, is that the the histories of the Red Sox and Yankees have been just incredibly intertwined over the last 15 seasons. Um, I think post, um, you know, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, those really dynasty-era Yankee teams, um, the the rivalry really kind of kicked off between these two teams uh, at a rate that it's really never seen before. And after this year draws to a close, um, with David Ortiz retiring, Mark Deschera, uh retiring, uh, and A-Rod, uh, there's really not going to be anybody left over on either of these rosters that remembers just what that flavor was like uh, during that time period. Yeah, and you know what? I, I say this with uh, all respect to how fun it was, but I am totally fine with the rivalry being dead for a little while. Uh, ESPN has a big uh, uh, big thing to do with that, and just that, and the sports media in general, it's so easy when it's Red Sox Yankees to frame everything as a Red Sox Yankees thing. And if that can die for a little bit, uh, it's good for the game. And then when it comes back, it will, uh, it will be much appreciated. Yeah. But right now it, it's nothing. It, they had, I mean, the teams had hated each other before. One of the best, uh, pictures, I think it was the 99 playoffs. Uh, when was the first, it was the first time the Red Sox and Yankees had ever played in the playoffs because, uh, the, they previously had not had wildcard teams, so that only one of them had made the playoffs. And that when they played in the ALCS, I, I believe it was that year, Carlton Fisk uh, went out there to throw out the first pitch, and there was like a pause. And during the pause, he he's facing the Yankees dugout, and he has his the ball in his left hand. Mm-hmm. Right hand is on his hip, giving the finger to the Yankees dugout. <laughs> just, just on general principle, because they're the Yankees, and he, it's like they did hate each other in the '70s, and they're probably much more likely to actually fight, though. Uh, and everybody was more likely to fight, right? 
Well, except for the except the 2003-2004 Yankees certainly fought quite a bit. Yep, I'll forever remember uh, Jason Veritek and A-Rod going at it with one another and the slap I, at first base. Again, chumped at every uh, at every turn. Think about the trade. Think about the slap. Think about the uh, the Veritek thing. The slap is the one that comes uh, after. But like the slap was the basically the end of the ALCS because when that happened, that was the eighth inning. And when that happened, uh, the inning was over, I believe. Uh, it's been a long time. And then uh, the ninth inning was just a regular ninth inning. Uh, oh, God. A-Rod, gone too soon. Yeah, it's incredible. It's it's just a uh, big, uh, big time end. But... Sorry, one more thing. is, But it's, it's stunning to see how Teixeira was just like, I'm going to retire at the end of the year. Great. Yeah, he went out kind of, kind of like a lamb. I was a little surprised at that. I mean, he he must really be ailing if he's choosing to go out like this because he's not that old. And last year he did have a pretty good season, which I thought was a little improbable um, considering the way that his health has gone the last few years. But I mean, the guy must be pretty banged up at this point to be considering this move, especially with I would assume that unlike a Rod. The Yankees aren't really forcing him to do this uh, in any way, shape, or form because Greg Bird is pretty uncertain to be ready for the start of next year. Like, he should be, but he's still a rookie who's recovering from a fairly serious operation. I think the shares just always had old man game. Yeah. Just catches up with age 35 for him is like age 40 for players who sort of age into it better. Uh, And... He, uh, you know, he's just a normal, you know, A-Rod seems like the type of guy who would have loved the final season. Uh, I mean, he would have loved it more than Jeter or Poppy loved it. Uh, Poppy loves final. it a lot, though, doesn't he? he? Right, but he loves everything. <laughs> that That's the point. Like, it sort of is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, if you're, if you can make that happen for yourself, you're probably already just like this happy dude. Whereas A-Rod wants it so much that he can't make it happen poor a-rod i have to pity him after, <laughs> after all that, that is not true that he is not poor no certainly not poor financially but man for for as rich a guy as he is and for all of his accolades he certainly does get dicked on a lot yeah and it's like he uh what he needs to do and i think he will do this is go on tv because he's great on tv and if, as NFL, former NFL players who were meatheads or, like, in um, many cases, just literal crazy people, uh, go on TV and uh, do well, people will forget your playing days in 10 seconds. I will be watching him on MLB Network, hopefully soon. So, uh, all the best to A-Rod, as much as... That is weird to say. Uh, I can't look at the guy without smiling, even these days. So, too many funny memories. Let's talk about this current version of the Red Sox team because we are in the process of uh, a season, albeit uh, a slow death and a slow kneel out of the playoffs. Oh wait, did I did I say that? No. I, all right. So maybe not. But uh, the Red Sox just ended their road trip at five and six. Uh, so far, the Red Sox are eleven and twelve. 
uh, in the second half of the season. Um, and Ortiz um, has a little bit to do with this as well. Ortiz is hitting 216 with just three home runs since the All-Star break. Um, as I alluded to, or just came out and said, uh, it really does feel, as as someone who watches this team on a day-to-day basis, um, like the Red Sox are just slowly passing away right now. It feels a lot like 2011. Uh, we keep going back to that whole thing, but uh, it just seems like you can never gain any ground. Red Sox are continuously just trotting out 500 uh, baseball and finding new ways to lose games and losing games by one run frequently. Uh, it's just been really, really frustrating to watch. Uh, and in a bubble, we should be happy, right? This is a Red Sox team that's relevant, that's contending. Um, but it's really uh, frustrating is the only word for it. It's painful and frustrating season so far because there's so many good things yet so many things that are befuddling and bad like david price all the time um so let's talk about it where are you with this team what are your thoughts and lastly uh after you get around to that do you think this team ultimately does make the playoffs well i know that I've turned on David Price to some degree because I read a Tony Maz column today and basically agreed with every word of it. Oh, no. Tony <laughs> Maz is a lunatic these days. I know. It wasn't every... Here's here's the problem, is that it it felt like even he left off, uh, let off the gas because he knows that he has... What can David Price say back? You know, right. David Price has been terrible. Um, so... I think there is a, there's a little cognitive dissonance in that when we talked before the season, everyone I talked to uh, on this podcast and others basically said, oh, we expect the Red Sox to be a mid to high 80s win team. And that is what they're pacing to be. That just is very frustrating uh, because – to win a high 80s number of games, you either lose a high 80s uh, or more likely – or a low 80s or more likely a high 70s number of games, which is pretty much half of them. Yep. But getting back to the Tony Mass thing, like, I, the three things that have really dragged down the Red Sox are injuries. Um, David Price. Dave, Dave, David Price. Um, and now it's really just those two. And, and I guess maybe the bull, uh, no, the, the back end of the rotation. The, the, the interesting the thing end, about Price, the they could do anything at the back of the rotation was still surprising, I think. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's true. It is surprising, but the, the price thing is the craziest thing to me because, if he had just performed to regular price level of expectations this year, the Red Sox would likely be leading the division by a couple games rather than behind by a couple games. And the whole tone of this season would be completely different. Well, here's a thought experiment. This is exactly what I'm writing about tomorrow for the price check column. Uh, I'm sorry, writing about today, writing about today. Um, what, could Price do 
like suppose the Red Sox make the playoffs. If they win the World Series and Price's World Series MVP, do you care about right now? My theory is, of course you don't. No, of course not. But so you have what to get they, there. Right. So okay. So think about this. What if they make the wild card playoff game and he throws like a complete game shutout, has a couple good games, and they lose in the ALCS? I still grumble. I think you do. I think that you would do it even if. Uh, I think, justifiably so, if Stephen Wright also stumbled, you'd give him a little benefit of the doubt. And I think that's uh, – I mean, at least I would. And I think that's – it's fair. You know, it's yeah. fair. I would, I would with Porcello as well. I think those guys have earned that. Well, Porcello is an interesting case because uh, if you if you're talking about what's the difference between – Evaluating price and right. <laughs> um, the yeah, see what, see what yeah, Drew Carey, get him on. Right. Um, the uh, the difference is money, and then Porcello is in the middle of both of those. I mean, he makes a he makes a good amount of money. He's performing like a twenty million dollar pitcher this year. Yeah, I mean that's ex- he's almost like perfectly paid. Yeah. It, that's amazing. I yeah. would have never thought that, that was possible. Uh, see, this is exactly what I thought he was going to do every year. That's why last year was so surprising. But uh, but after last year, what was your confidence level that he was going to do this ever? Well, it was actually higher than I thought my confidence level that he would do what he did last year again. However, that is not me trying to say I'm so smart because I think that this is the peak of his – Abilities. I think that right now being the $20 million pitcher is the best possible outcome for Rick Porcello. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I'm just saying when you throw money into it, it makes evaluating price versus right versus Porcello different. However, uh, I do think there is a time for this to happen and be uh, many paths where price can redeem himself and, to that end, what I talk about the J.D. Drew Grand Slam, which ultimately I think, and this is in the ALCS, but I think in retrospect justifies his entire contract. Oh, I, I, I'm guilty of that. I said that. As soon as he hit that home run, I said, well, okay, J.D. JD was worth it. He did it. No, he delivered. I agree, but there were many years left, and I'm still saying even with what I, I mean, look, and he was always a fine baseball like. J.J. Drew was born to be a – He was. he's one of the very few guys who was like, oh, man, I got to go to the job again. He was a very quality vanilla ice cream. Yeah, but – He was like Ben and Jerry's vanilla. He was a guy who – like he made it clear, I think he made it clear that like he – this was never his passion. He was just always really good at it. He'd rather be in a tree stand somewhere hunting deer. Of course. Um, but uh, – he was good, uh, but he was also very easy to hate. So the the bigger point being that there is, you know, the season ain't over. And uh, th- I am such a contrarian on, like, the normal, like, oh, this person is a bum. Like, I always want to be like, no, 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 just wait, just wait, just wait. With Price, I want to give up, but my – the one thing I'm saying is, like, if you waited this long, 
Just wait another couple weeks. Well, we have no choice. I mean, we can't do anything but wait. There's nothing we can do. We can just... All we can do is sit here and be disappointed that David Price consistently loses control of his pitches. His command goes away. I mean, he blows not, up random innings. He's not good. He's no, not he, good at pitching. He's just... He has not been good at pitching. But you know what? Aside from Pedro Martinez, pretty much everybody that comes here who's a pitcher of note deals with the obligatory terrible one season before they actually do what they're supposed to do. So I guess what I'm saying is why are we all that shocked that David Price is dealing with it after Rick Porcello dealt with it last year? Pomerantz might be in the middle of dealing with it right now. It just seems like for whatever reason, it's difficult to come to Boston for pretty much everybody not named Pedro Martinez. Well, with as much as I'm not going to vote for 2024 candidate for President Kurt Schilling, he was pretty good in his first year here. Um, He was, yep. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to argue that one. Right. Uh, But they're they're few and far between, right? There's there's many more that... I, I definitely agree with you, I and mean, it's, it's, it's a matter of record. It's not a matter of opinion. But yeah. I think that Price, who was – I was hoping Price belonged uh, less than that Pedro. I mean when Pedro came in, there was zero chance he was going to be bad. It wasn't like a – it wasn't – even then, like even then, you, there yeah. wasn't any worry that Pedro was going to show up and be bad. No, he was doomed God mode good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, but... Uh, IDDKFA? Is that the Godfish code? I don't remember. Shilling, maybe, but um, but I thought, you know, the hope was that Price was one of these guys, and he's not, but the only thing is, but, you know, you read all these stories about Price, and I've been trying to read them so I can write something interesting, but they all say, like, yeah, the Red Sox signed this guy who's been great in the regular season, but he hasn't been great in the playoffs. My only my only caveat is like we have to wait until the season is over because if like forget the playoffs, if he just figures it out next week and does six weeks of lights out pitching to get the Sox even to the wild card game. Like he did with Toronto last year. Right. So Yeah. So would that justify the season and would that be worth $31 million? Probably not from an actual actuarial standpoint, but it's the only thing he can do now. Like it's the best of the remaining options. Yeah, it would so, change public opinion though. I think it would it would get everybody off of his back and be excited that the Red Sox had their ace of the future, which which that may not matter, but if it does, He's like, let's hedge on the side that maybe it does because we're we have to be around him for the next six years after this. Yeah, you don't think he's opting out after this, do you? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, he he got a pretty good deal here, but the 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 point that I want to get from you is, are you feeling the same way about this season as I am? Where you you're looking at what Toronto is doing, you're looking at what the Orioles are doing. Um, I still think Toronto's the more dangerous team. I think they win the division. But, man, I look at that rotation. Estrada continues to pitch well. Hap continues to pitch well and give them tons of innings. Aaron Sanchez continues to pitch well. 
the back end of their bullpen solidified. Edwin Encarnacion is raking. Like, it's really difficult for me to sit here and watch, even as the Red Sox offense has sputtered a little bit as of late, uh, especially on this road trip here. And we allude, we we talked about Ortiz earlier being a big part of those struggles. I mean, do you think that they can win the division? And if you don't think they can win the division, do you think they can get one of those wild card spots? Because that's not even certain with Detroit playing as well as they are um, and with Justin Verlander pitching as well as he has since 2012. Do I think they can? Yes. Do I think they will? I have no idea. And I think... Uh, don't you sit on the fence. No, 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 no. I, the re, what I was just about to say was that I think that's been in keeping... And I think that's in keeping with what pretty much all of us have said about the Red Sox the entire year, which I said about 20 minutes ago at this point, that they're between, like, they probably between, and the the good, the the good, the best case is like between 85 and 91 team, and the worst case is not so bad. It's like between an 80 and an 85 win team. But in terms of getting that wild card, that's a huge difference. Um, so none of it really surprises me you know it surprises me the way that it's it's shaken out i i i certainly feel i'm feeling what you feel as the way it's going to turn out but just if i look at it that in certain lights i can see how the red Sox are uh, look look pomeranz is struggling price is struggling what if they stop struggling then, look, yes, and Ortiz is also struggling, but that he could hit 216 and hit three home runs each month for the rest of the season and still end up with maybe his best season ever. So the dude has done plenty, and I know it doesn't help going forward, but I, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about him. No, you, you can't trash him, but the, the bottom line here is – they are in a bit of a tailspin right now. I don't want to say a tailspin because they're pretty much just treading water. They're playing slightly below average baseball or below 500 baseball. But we're not going to have you on the show again until September 12th where the playoff picture will be way, way, way more clear than it is right now. So as things stand, I mean, yes or no, they get in the playoffs. Well, first of all, that's just your decision. That's a bad decision on your part. I should be on every time. <laughs> um, but uh, the uh, – oh, Katie. No, that's not Katie Lede. I'm watching the Olympics. Sorry. Uh, do they make the playoffs? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to sit on the fucking fence uh, <laughs> because the whole point of the wild card game is that it's sort of just like – it's the shruggy emoji. It's like this – Two teams are going to play one game to see who can get in. And all you need to do is win that game. Like, if you lose the game, you don't feel like you made the playoffs. Um, it's a semantic issue with what you mean by making the playoffs. Because uh, – Are you saying that if they make the second wild card spot and they have to play, like, the Orioles in a one-game playoff, it's not really making the playoffs? If they lose, it won't feel like it. Um, I can't believe if, you're sitting on the fence here, Brian. This if, is highly disappointing. If they win, it will feel like they did make the playoffs. However, that uh, I can't sit here and predict. Look, there's uh, if I think there's like a 60, 
I would say that. Okay, look, I'm going to say yes. There you go. They make the playoffs. All right. I did, I did the math in my head. You heard yes. it here first. He's yeah. prognosticated everybody. They're making the playoffs. I hope you're right. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I share the confidence in you that that you do. I do feel like they are better than the other teams around them. Like top to bottom, you look at the roster. This team's as good, really, as any team in the American League, probably aside from Texas. And I say that even keeping Cleveland in mind because with Salazar down right now. Carrasco hasn't been as impressive as he's been in the past. He's having a really good year, um, but that offense doesn't scare me at all. I really do think Texas is really the only team that you look at up and down and you can be like, yep, they're probably a better roster. Uh, I don't know if that's true about any other team. Yeah, it's true. I I mean, well, I'm still terrified of Cleveland. Uh, I, uh, I wrote the annual essay for the Indians last year, and it's a perfect essay if you just pretend I wrote it for this year, um, predicting them to do really well for all the reasons that they've done well this year. Uh, so I would like to just pretend that I did that. Um, I went to the game, the Yankees game yesterday uh, with my daughter, uh, who was one. <laughs> Uh, so she really enjoyed it. How many beers re- did she have? Uh, she honestly, I got one beer and she really wanted it. She kept. She, <laughs> think, she thought it was. She thinks uh, all cans are seltzer water. Oh, okay. Cause we let because we let her drink from the seltzer water cans. We don't not let her drink from the beer cans. Um, no, she, we had the helmet Sunday, but since the Yankees helmet, she's not allowed to bring it home, which is a bummer for her. But you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but Danny Salazar pitched, and uh, he lost. He wasn't great. Um, he was good for a little while, uh, and then he got shellacked by the Twins. But I think Kluber is—I think Kluber is amazing. Uh, Kluber is so good. His slider, that that pitch is unbelievable. Anyhow, yeah, this is just a lot of babbling, but I I think they make it just because I think ultimately I'm just going to choose to believe that Pomerantz's developments are real and just slight adjustment. I mean, look, he's looked decent enough. I I can understand a little bit of a Six blocks. Yeah, it's tough. Anyhow. It's troubling. And I I think Price – has to be better. I thought it all year, and to give it up now, why? Why bother? Yeah, I'm. I'm, gonna, I'm done with that, it. Brian. You can you can be on your own with that. The price is going to get better thing until I see it. Until I see meaningful strides from him, um, I am not banking on David Price. To me, he's a big old pile of trash. I have to watch every five days, and frustratingly, so at this point, I mean, <laughs> wow. But but the trash is all just cash. Trash cash. You don't even, yeah, yes, 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 trash cash. Uh, I, I would love that. I would love to have that trash because it's cash. Anyhow. Well, if they do make the playoffs, uh, the recently promoted Andrew Benintendi could be a uh, reason as to why they do. Uh, the added stability of the bat in left field, uh, as well as getting Brock Holt back to where he belongs in the super utility position. Um you know, those those are really positives for the Red Sox team. And um, so far, a uh, little bit under a week, I think 13 at-bats so far for Ben Benintendi. Uh, he's looked really good at the plate. 
Um, a lot of people are frustrated that Benintendi uh, has been called up and is platooning right now, uh, sharing that platoon with uh, Bryce Brents. He's playing against righties. Brents is playing against lefties. Uh, interestingly enough, Benintendi's hit better against lefties throughout his minor league career, which is pretty short at this point. Uh, he's really showed no platoon splits, but uh, Matt Collins, uh, who's on this show um, frequently, uh, spelled out on Over the Monster article that uh, some of the reasons why this might be happening is because uh, they might be worried about him wearing down 119 games played last year, already 103, I think, so far uh, this season. Um, and then with Chris Young on his way back, who is just an absolute lefty masher, um, it makes sense for the stretch run for this to be the arrangement, but I'm still in favor of them playing Benintendi every day. Like in, until Young is back, uh, forget Bryce Brents. Like the guy's kind of a chump, and Benintendi's unbelievable. His swing is so pretty. Well, I am not surprised to hear you say that because I have spoken to you before in my life, um, <laughs> but. Uh, I am not surprised. The dude's 12 years old. They're not going to – the the if nothing else, the macho culture seems like uh, – and, and probably more to the point, we all know that John Farrell makes decisions about how things are going to be and sticks to those decisions. And I think the decision that uh, Ben Attendee is not going to play every day, which also dovetails with the – wanting to keep his workload acceptable uh, theory looks like the, the best option for the Red Sox, but I can't, you know, I think that if Benintendi is so clearly a better option and the Red Sox have their backs further up against the wall, he'll be playing every day. Like if this is a month from now, this is the next time we talk, and they're in the, maybe even just the same situation. He'll be playing more often, but I understand why he wasn't put into an everyday role um, uh, coming out of uh, coming out of was it Triple A? Yeah, Triple A. Uh, double A. He was in Double A. Made the uh, made the immediate jump. I mean, I have bread older in my fridge than than he is, so I get it. That is disgusting. No, but, it's great. It's great because you get the age, you feel the flavor. Uh, I think what you're looking for is cheese there, but you know we'll go with the bread. Um, Benintendi, though, I I I think he should be up. I've already said that, but John Farrell, man, this would have been the perfect day to fire John Farrell right here, eight eight, as we're recording this, a Monday that the Red Sox have off. Um, John Farrell is the equivalent as a manager of uh, the guy at the pool who yells at you for running around the pool when you're a kid and you're just trying to have a good time. He's just such a rules guy. I just – I hate him. I hate everything about him. You can cut this, what I'm about to say, but this is great. We went to the pool nearby us uh, – and there's a kid's pool and a regular pool. I'm not going to cut this, by the way. Okay. My wife was there. and my <laughs> I was not there. My wife brought my daughter. And the kid's pool was overchlorinated. So, like, you have to go to the regular pool. Okay, fine. So there's nobody there whenever she goes. And uh, she brought, like, a ball. 
And if my, my daughter doesn't need a ball, if she's not holding it, but once she's holding it, if you take it away from her, it's going to be terrible. So they go in the pool and uh, they're in there for like five seconds and they're the only people in the pool, literally the only people. And the lifeguard's like, you can't have toys in the pool. That's John Farrell. Yes, exactly. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like, so I understand not uh, not liking that. I, uh, I don't think John Farrell is a great manager. I don't think he's a terrible manager. But um, I don't agree with you that he has fallen to the level of – uh, he needs to be fired when the team is still above above 500 uh, in August. I know which, it's not going to happen. Which hold, on, which hold on, I don't think is a hot take at all. No, certainly not a hot take. I I agree with you that he hasn't done enough to warrant it, but I do firmly believe that the team would be better off with somebody else at the helm, and that somebody else is Tori Lavella. I well, just I, I mean I really I think so. I agree with the first part. The second part, um, you know, it may – sure. I mean maybe. It's not going to be anybody else. He's making managers money right now. Sure, sure. But, I mean, if we're – if you – if the Red Sox, which – who they run them – they try to run themselves like a Fortune 500 company, fire their manager um, – m- my general thinking is if they wanted to do this, they would have done this already. You're probably right. Dombrowski seems to be very loyal, um, at least to people around him, uh, not to players. He will trade players. Um, but that brings me to our next and final point here because we are running a little bit long tonight. Um, I have, I just have too many stories, man. Uh, well, you know, most of them are pretty good, aside from the old bread story. But uh, news out of San Diego is that the San Diego Padres failed to release all of the medicals for Drew Pomerantz. Uh, most of you have probably already heard about Colin Ray being shipped back to them and needing Tommy John surgery in the Marlins trade as well. Um, they presumably, uh, I guess, uh, withheld relevant medical information. Um Dombrowski has not decided to rework that trade, even though he does probably have the right to. Um, It struck me as a little strange at first, um, but then I started thinking about it more, and I was like, one of two things are going on here. Either Dombrowski has good enough information about all these players, whatever they were going to withhold, he already knew, so he already factored that into the equation when making the deal, which is probably true. And then the other thing is that Dombrowski's a pretty old school guy, and he probably knows that things like this happen and didn't want to renege on a deal, and he can probably hold this over Preller's head in the future and say, listen, dude, I did you a solid with this, not reworking that deal, and keep that in mind for the future type thing. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I hadn't thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Red Sox and the Padres have this historical relationship um that uh has been fruitful for the red sox so so i can see that actually uh being in place uh the otherwise the most notable thing about this i don't you follow gammons i'm sure mm-hmm. gammons gammons is worked up about this well it, it's it is unethical and gammons is ethical 
Yeah, I mean, he's really, he's as worked up as he is about, like, steroids. He's, he's fired up. Um, I, uh, the, it's, the problem, the Padres have so many problems, um, and I can, I, I think Dombrowski knew what he was getting with Pomerantz and was okay with it. So do you, you think that, yeah. I'm not going to go there with the Padres. I'm just going to let that one lie. Um, yeah, I think you're you're probably right, and I think the same thing, obviously, because I just said it. But um, it's interesting, nonetheless. It would have been nice to see them rework that and send like Henry Owens and Dubon or Basabe instead of Espinosa. But you know, ship has sailed. There you go. A uh, couple quick notes: Moncada is out right now, uh, dealing with a sore ankle. Um, nothing serious on that front. Uh, Blake Swihart, uh, is still in, uh, dire straits with his ankle, that gruesome ankle injury that he got in left field where he never should have been playing because he's the most mismanaged player for the Red Sox this entire season. Um, and Brian, I know you're probably just chomping at the bit wanting to get into that one because you disagree with me there, but, uh, he now may need surgery. Uh, and a bit of good news, Brian Johnson, who is back from dealing with anxiety, is uh, fully back on track uh, with Pawtucket and has been pitching really well. Uh, his last two starts, um, five or six innings pitched, eat both of those, uh, only one run between the two starts, and struck out five and six respectively. And he's getting really close to that 100 pitch mark. So. Um, good to see a little bit of quality pitching depth behind the uh, Red Sox there as well. Um, upcoming schedule, it's going to be the New York Yankees and the Arizona Diamondbacks, both of those at home. Um, no real incredible matchups to talk about uh, during those games pitching-wise. I mean, everything's decent, but uh, the bigger story is that, you know, the Yankees being in Boston and all that that entails with what we talked about at the beginning of the show. I'm into Wright versus Pineda. I think that's a that that's a good match. Pineda's been really good uh, for like the last six weeks. Um, uh, he's he's got stuff. I mean that's that's not a question. So that'll be a fun one. It's Is A-Rod. it sticky stuff though? Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> um, and by the way, Brian Johnson dealing with anxiety. Brian Joiner, yo. I see you. I see you, dog. I feel you. I feel you. Um, and look, the you, you, the, fin- the final thing you talked about, Swihart, but I mean, Sandy Leon just fixed everything, so it's, it's no, it's all good now. It's all Sandy Leon. He's, Sandy, the splendid splinter Leon. Of course, that's. I just can't believe we had to worry about who our catcher was. We have Buster Posey. Hey, shoot, man! I've always been in Camp Sandy. I'm telling you. Even ask Matt Collins. Oh, God, I don't want to talk to him. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, I think uh, we are running a little bit long here, so we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, Before we do uh, the the rundown here, you can uh, follow us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, You can rate and review us on iTunes. Um, You can also submit a question to us on uh, BP Boston. You just click on... 
uh, any episode of the Red Seat, and there's a submission box there. Uh, we did check to make sure that it is working because we haven't gotten any questions yet from anybody. So maybe just nobody wants to ask us stuff about the Red Sox. So that's fine. Uh, well, hold on. Did you get the tech? Did you get the yeah, tech question? No, I saw you. I st- uh, can, can you answer the question on the podcast? I, dogs? Question mark? That was the question. Um, yeah, so dogs? Question mark. Um, and then. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @devjake, and you can follow Brian Joiner at what Brian? Barack Obama. B A R A C K O B A M A. At POTUS, okay? Yeah. Um. So there you go. And uh, friendship bracelet is going to be awaiting you if you do give him a follow. So, uh, with that, Brian, thank you for joining us. I uh, had a lot of time, a lot of fun. Uh, reminiscing here about what could have been so uh, we'll have to do that more often but not too often because then people won't listen to us yeah that's true I'm, I'm not I'm not great I'm not I'm not, not ideal <laughs> all right well thanks for listening guys and uh, we'll be back with you uh, not next week because actually everybody's like gone next week um, but we'll be back the following week uh, for episode 20 so we'll see you then <laughs>